now we receive requests from banks who say, we want to be a fintech. Teach us how to become <laughs> a fintech. There are a lot of hype around AI, right? Especially when it's all started, uh, some companies were bragging that we process hundreds of thousands of data points. So for me, fairness in this area is access to financial services, access to capital when you need it on the terms that are fair and not prohibitive. Welcome to Fundamental Fairness, a podcast about financial inclusion from the lens of entrepreneurs, policymakers, and investors, brought to you by Camino Financial, with your host, Sean Salas. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Fundamental Fairness. And today we're going to be talking about AI in lending. Now, let me set the stage. Over the last few years, financial service industries have begun utilizing AI to assess, evaluate, and refine the creditworthiness of potential borrowers in new and innovative ways. The use of AI in financial services has drastically reduced operating and increased efficiency in providing credit at scale. This shift has been driven by maturing AI algorithms, growing AI investment, increasing competition, and rapid changes in consumer preferences for digital financial products facilitated by AI. This digital disruption has continued to reinvent the financial services ecosystem and now sparks the questions of how an AI-powered lending software will change the lending landscape for better. Today, we're speaking with no better authority are going to dive into the role of AI in the future of lending with Elena Onenko, co-founder and COO of Turnkey Lender, the only company on the market to offer bank-grade automation powered by AI and deep neural networks to lending operations of any size. Elena is a fintech entrepreneur with over 20 years of business development, sales, and management experience. And before Turnkey Lender, she worked on several successful products in Silicon Valley and founded two companies where at different times she headed finance, sales, and marketing. So she's certainly a jack of all trades. She often shares her expertise at industry events and in the media. And for two consecutive years, Elena was listed among the top 100 women in fintech by Lattice 80 and is named one of the top 25 female leaders in fintech in the 2020 Financial Technology Report. Welcome, Elena. Hello, everyone. I'm so honored and pleased to be on this podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. I um, really would be happy to share my perspective on the lending industry in general, on AI application to ending, and uh, I'd be happy to share my expertise. So looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, great. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, Elena. And even right before we started, we talked about the fact that Camino Financial is actually a client of Turnkey Lender. And we're a fintech ourselves, but we still see the value in partnering with software technology companies like yourself to amplify what we're doing. And we had a very robust vetting process and looked at many different 
of your competitors. And we saw Turnkey Lender as the best choice. So so congrats for that. And also mentioning that just to our audience so they know that I am slightly biased, but not so much. I'm actually more objective than the rest because we actually did the full vetting process and we chose Turnkey Lenders. I actually take it back. We're not biased. We're objective and we just chose you guys as the best uh, tech software for our industry. Thank you very much. We started this company with lenders like Camino Financial in mind because we could see how the whole lending industry is transforming and shifting similarly to commerce, which migrated online and became e-commerce. We could see how the services and financial service also moving online. And that was the idea behind a turnkey lender platform to design really powerful and flexible and AI-based end-to-end technology which would help innovative lenders to implement their wildest dreams and uh, build any processes and uh, decisioning algorithms using just one platform. So That's great. So when it comes to Camino Financial, right, I think you're absolutely right. You've designed it very well for a company of our stage that is fast growing, right? And, and in particular with Camino Financial, it sounds like there's different use cases where you can use your software solution. So I just want to dig into those use cases so that our audience fully understand what Turnkey does, just because you are a platform and you do so much. Let's start from the most basic and then go to the most advanced use cases of how you apply your software to different lenders in the market. So what are some of the most basic use cases of your software? Okay, so that's where we started. Just very simple vanilla consumer loan, or usually a short-term installment loan. That's where we started. And initially, we worked mostly with small fintechs and uh, growing fintechs. And the fact that they manage their entire portfolios on our platform allowed us to process a lot of transactional data. That's mm-hmm. how we were able to build and to train our AI algorithm to not only process the application and help make the right decisions during the loan origination, but we also were able to monitor the behavior of borrowers at different stages of loan life cycle. So we know how to apply AI not only to loan origination, but also the loan servicing, the loan collection. So we've started in just a simple consumer loans, but then since we build the technology very flexible and not hard-coded, it's like no-code platform, we were able to configure different additions with different types of loans, and that's how we gradually built up our expertise in, in different areas and in different areas of lending. Great. I want to make sure that people fully understand the complexity of lending, because I think the way you said it was you started with a specific segment in lending and then even specific workflows in lending, the application being one of them. I want to zoom in there just to give people the sense of complexity. Call it 20 years ago, maybe over even a little bit over 10, 15 years ago, but definitely 20 years ago. People were still using pen and paper to process an application, right? Maybe they'd scan it and they submit it via email because email is around then, of course. But they would submit that application and then that application would be effectively manually processed by an underwriter. And then, of course, there would be 
follow-up where that underwriter would request and sometimes in physical copy or a scanned copy via email, supporting documentation to get the underwriter comfortable with the credit profile. And then that would eventually lead to an approval. And then there's a funding process as well, right? And that's just to close the loan. We'll get into what happens after the close in a second, because that's where things get really interesting, okay? But what I want to share with our audience is that we, in the last 10 to 15 years, have fully automated that process. That application can be done all digitally. It takes five to 10 minutes, depending on the application, especially if it's a consumer loan. And then even the backup documentation that we need to process that application typically can be done through a direct integration through into your bank transaction data, even at times with the IRS to collect that supporting documentation. And what would have typically taken days, if not over a month with a bank to process an application and arrive to a final decision in funding can take minutes for processing and can be funded on the same day. And all the software supporting that workflow is something that you guys, uh, Turnkey, provides. But then, of course, there's other use cases, which is what happens after the close? You know, and let's focus on one product, right, Elena? Like, what happens after the close? So did I describe the first part properly? Absolutely. I just want to add, so you said that we've automated all these processes. I mean, you may have automated it, but for the, uh, like, you'd be surprised that for so many more traditional institutions like banks, credit unions, and other financial companies, which have been around for some time, this is still a very much manual process, even though they have some kind of application form. If you go to the back end, in many cases, it's still received and processed manually. So Wow. Uh, that's yeah. interesting. So that's why you're in business. That's why you're doing so well, Elena. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. And these are now, I think, potentially a debate on this automation 10, 15 years ago. But now these are table stakes to be competitive. Right, Elena? Yep. Before starting Turn Calendar, both myself and my co-founder, we work in companies which develop software for banks. So we knew this whole industry from the banking perspective. And when we developed Turn Calendar, our initial slogan was compete with big banks without the big investment, compete with big banks without the big investment. That's how we pitched it to fintechs. And a couple of years ago, we realize that now we receive requests from banks who say, we want to be a fintech. Teach us how to become <laughs> a fintech. So, you know, it. they realize that they're falling behind and they want to keep up with the level of the services that fintechs provide and with the uh, speed of, uh, you know, application processing and loan origination, all of that. So it's one in a lifetime kind of momentum, I guess, when everything's transforming. Great, great. So I think it's clear that, and just to kind of even summarize the second part, there's also this backend solution, which is actually like the logs of and the amortization tables, or basically that's the payment schedule and the adjustments in the payment schedules. And when you're managing hundreds of thousands of loans at any given point in time, that reporting process and systems and even maintaining it can get incredibly complicated, right? And sometimes there needs to be, not sometimes, most of the time, 
that part of the process needs to be very standardized, right? <laughs> because you need to represent this information in a way that's digestible for investors, especially on the debt side, so that whether they want to buy the debt or whatnot. And so, and even from a regulatory standpoint, there's a compliance component to making sure that you're reporting all this data in a consistent way that meets all the compliance standards. And and I'll just highlight just for everybody, like for instance, to your point, Elena, Camino Financial in particular on the application flow, we actually own that process completely to your point. We, as a fintech, we started and said, hey, we want to own that process. We don't want to have a high level of customization there. That's not to say that there aren't other fintechs using that part of the service. But where we saw, and, and of course, there's a lot of dimensions of value, but a lot of value in working with you was on that back end. Right. Mm -hmm. Because on that back end, it's saying, look, this is something that's very expensive to maintain. Mm -hmm. And the cost of getting it wrong is so high. And when you start scaling into the hundreds of thousands to million plus accounts, like you need to work with someone that, that dreams about this all day, every day. Right. You know, that's the starting point of Camino Financial working with you. So, so I wanted to just give people that holistic view and. That's just the basics, right, Elena? We mm -hmm. even started talking about the advanced stuff. So now let's start talking about AI, right? And how you guys use AI in order to elevate your value proposition. If you don't mind, share with us some of the use cases on the AI front. Okay, sure. So as I said, we can apply AI to different stages of a loan life cycle. If we talk about application and uh, application of AI to the loan origination, it becomes uh, more and more popular, uh, I would say. So people understand the value and they understand how artificial intelligence can make better and quicker decisions compared to a human or to a regular algorithm. So the idea is that, first of all, in order to build that AI engine, you need a lot of data. So mm -hmm. AI works similarly to our brain. It's like, that's how babies learn. That's how we learn foreign language. You need to process and not just, uh, you know, receive, but process a lot of information so that your brain starts seeing patterns, starts remembering how different things work. And that's very true with AI. You need a lot of data in order for AI to find some patterns, correlations, and in order for it to detect some, uh, like in case of loan origination, some risk factors that uh, like a human brain or a regular statistical uh, model cannot detect. I'll give you an example. Like for traditional credit scoring model, we usually have like an, a regular scorecard. We usually have different variables, so-called variables and mm -hmm. um Within each variable, within each characteristic, we usually have several different options. Let's say like the uh, length of employment or the age of the applicant in some countries or the number of years in business. And every characteristic is assigned a certain weight. So that's how we calculate the total score and we decide whether the person is good or not. So what AI can detect that even though all the variables look fine for, for a specific borrower, when they just look at separately, if there is a certain combination of these good characteristics, they might be a bad sign. For example, if mm -hmm. a, a income uh, level of a certain person is at certain level, but the employment is 
age, with, I mean, the employment lands, which is usually a good sign, combined with a certain uh, level of income and combined with some other characteristics, they turn out in a, into a red flag. So if there is such a combination of these characteristics, that means that this borough represents like a completely separate cluster of high-risk customers. And you cannot, uh, you know, build this cluster analysis unless you apply AI. Only AI can analyze hundreds and thousands of data points and combine them and find these, you know, uh, correlations and define this cluster. So that just brings the accuracy of decision-making to the new level. That's how AI can enhance any traditional existing trade scoring model. Great. So I have yeah. an observation and then I have a question. To your point, when we are covering the basics, one element of the basic is the onboarding process, which includes that underwriter that was mm-hmm. not only manually inputting the data but now you're getting into the underwriter's brain and helping automate the decision so that in effect, maybe you don't need an underwriter or you've helped the underwriter be a lot more efficient at what they do, right? We call them turning them into sideboards, right? Mm-hmm. There are certain types of credits where you don't need an underwriter. They're too small. The economics mm-hmm. don't make sense. I think there are certain larger types of credits and particularly in small business on the larger transactions where you do still need an underwriter, but you still want to fully automate that part of the process. And so we went from a basic kind of automation to now Mm decision-making. But you also said that that is also a function of the amount of data you've been able to amass so that when you do run these algorithms and decision-making models, that they're statistically significant and they're only going to be as statistically significant based on the size of that data pool. So can you give me a sense as I'm Thinking about the edge that turnkey lender is creating for the industry, can you give me a sense of the data sets that you guys are navigating through and the size of the pool or anything you're comfortable disclosing? But how big of data sets are we talking about here, uh, whether it's for turnkey or anyone that wants to be relevant in this, in mean, this space? Uh, yeah, so for AI, you need hundreds of thousands of records. In our case, we process millions of records because we work with some companies who are in telecom space, telecom providers, uh, you know, financing their subscribers for different purposes. And when you say records, (laughs) one thing I always get a little confused about with records is that I like distinguishing records versus unique accounts, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can have the record of one big business called Amazon that gives mm-hmm. you yeah, or, yeah. or millions and millions of records for one unique account we call mm-hmm. Amazon, right? But when I think about like unique accounts is the unique account data too. So how much unique accounts are we talking about? How relevant is that relative to just the size of the amount of fields and records you have? Again, when building uh, this algorithm, we are not talking about unique accounts. We are talking, when I mean records, I mean, the specific loan uh, monitored from the cradle to the grave, uh, you know, that's what, because only when you monitor the pattern during the loan life cycle, that's when you can make the decision where this particular borrower will be like a good borrower. So you've had millions of loans from the cradle to the grave flow through your turnkey lender. Right. That's right. That's awesome. Crazy in a good way. All right. Awesome. Okay. So a lot of data, right? And then of course, in between the cradle to the grave, there's a ton of data in between, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of what application data was being used to process 
obviously the delinquency and payment data all the way to the end. Okay, perfect. Got it. So a lot of data, you guys are uniquely positioned. And then presumably in millions of records are going to be a lot of unique borrowers too, right? Mm-hmm. Because we like seeing both, by the way. At Camino, we do think about it in terms of unique loans, but you also need to see it in terms of unique borrowers because there could be a borrower that takes multiple loans over the lifetime Absolutely. with Camino so Financial. it's like a different level of analysis. Exactly. Right? So we like looking at both, right? Whereas I hear a lot of people say, we have 5 million applications, right? Or fields, you know, like, and it's like, yeah, you get a lot of fields. I mean, look, if I yeah. pull metadata from your application, your right. website behavior, I'm going to have a lot of fields, but maybe not so much unique records. To exactly. Your point, right? And there are a lot of hype around AI, right? Especially when it's all started, uh, some companies were bragging that we process hundreds of thousands of data points, right? Yeah. But how many of those are really predictive, right? I mean, what's the kind of like, processing all that massive amount of data if only just a handful of them you don't need like hundred thousand right or you need to identify and use only those who make accurate predictions right so yeah uh, we, we can speak about that all day we see that a lot we call those vanity metrics uh-huh, uh, exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah they sound great in a pitch deck but they don't mm-hmm. necessarily yeah, translate yeah. into statistically significant decision making models we always need to have the litmus test on that so a lot of data, a lot of unique records. That's the richest of the richest data. And it's in the millions at Turnkey Lender. Great. Now we talked about the use of AI in the decision-making. What about post-close? What are other applications of AI that I think are relevant to people that are trying to, or actively innovating in the fintech world outside of credit scoring? Because I hear that a lot, right? Credit scoring, mm-hmm. decision-making at the underwriting level. And I think we hear that a lot because it's the most intuitive want to mm-hmm. understand, but what are other use cases that, that you find are most interesting and probably the most challenging to innovate in? This episode of Fundamental Fairness about AI and lending is brought to you by Camino Financial. So once we underwrite the loan, we are in loan servicing. And you mentioned that you can have like multiple credit products with different, you know, amortization or um, schedules that you need to maintain. Then depending on the integration that we might have with external providers, we can not only, you know, run these schedules and make sure that the payments happen on time, or in some cases, we can also monitor if we have an access to the bank statement of this borrower, we can monitor the trends on their bank statements and we can predict the problem before it happens. So if something... That's something, huge, by the way. But yeah. for any lender, not everyone's here is a lender, but so I'm, I'm going to break it down. Being able to predict the delinquency before it happens is huge. And why? Because when you see there's potentially stress, then you can effectively try to address that account. And you need to do it like, for instance, in the context of Camino, you don't like call them and say, oh, you're about to be a delinquent client. No, of course not. You know, you, you want to be helpful. <laughs> if they're experiencing pain, you want to be helpful. And so there are really great ways of saying, look, maybe it's a, it's an element of, you know, are you in an area where there's a natural disaster? Do we need to be actually more proactive about offering any relief to that loan in the case of like, for instance, a natural disaster or so forth? And you can still preserve the relationship 
but still go into these conversations with context. Because sometimes when people are pre-delinquent and then eventually go delinquent for reasons that may be completely out of their power, Mm -hmm. right? Then they go what we call, they go dark, right? They don't answer anything. Yeah, they don't want to. And you could have got ahead of that had you known that that client could be experienced. And that, in effect, enables you to really streamline your costs associated Mm -hmm. with your servicing of the loans and being able to preserve an amazing experience for every borrower. Is that, is that a fair point, Lena? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> that's, I mean, that's one of the strongest use cases of AI early warning, right? When you yep. can see that uh, the problem is potentially coming and you can interact with your customer offering some options, how not to get to that point and become delinquent. And I mean, because it not only hurts your business, it also hurts them, right? In of terms course. Of credit score and I mean, all this distress when you're behind on your payments, it just, you know, are way better when you can handle it beforehand and when you can just explain the borrower that there are options that they don't have to exactly. uh, yeah, necessarily go dark. You're willing to help them and you have like some flexible. Absolutely. Um, no. Well, th- this is great. I'm glad we, we were able to once again show another use case of how, yes, it started with the standard reporting and the payment schedules and the compliance associated with it. But now what Elena is doing at Turnkey Lender is elevating that value proposition from automation to once again, decision making, right? And in this case, I think, yes, to your point, Elena, I think the the one that gets me most excited and I can't wait until we go there is the pre-delinquency. That's huge. That is a great use case and, and translates into a lot of value for the ecosystem. All right. Well, talking about the ecosystem, I'd like to transition into our next section of our discussion. How many lenders do you have on the platform? It sounds like there's a lot of transactions flowing through. But yeah. So it's about 200 lenders. Well, 200 mm-hmm. lenders mm-hmm. and processing millions of records, right? That yep. process their turnkey. So yep. I think it's fair to say, Elena, that you have a really good eye on what's going on in the lending landscape, right? And the lending landscape for everyone for context has changed drastically over the years from what I'll call innovation 1.0, which was digitalization, to now innovation 3.0 which is now the use of AI to make decisions that would otherwise require more human intervention. What I'd like to better understand is what are some patterns you're seeing in the market regarding the clients you service? For instance, one thing you just mentioned is that you don't hear this that often is, oh yeah, fintechs are innovating, but like you mentioned earlier, like, yeah, but there's still a lot of like banks that want to be fintech. So like any other insights, if you want to double click on that point or other other patterns that you're seeing, and it doesn't have to be purely from the eyes of fintech, because I think sometimes people believe that like we live in this world of fintech that is disruptive, but it's still a very small proportion of the pie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's growing though. It's growing. It is growing. <laughs> but, but any patterns, yes. Yeah, love absolutely. To get your view. So one of the most interesting <laughs> patterns, and I'm sure you've heard about it, is embedded lending or embedded financing. So yeah. basically it's when lending is done by non-lenders. Any business, any manufacturer or retailer can offer some sort of credit to their customers to, you know, especially for more expensive 
purchases for equipment purchases. So that's what we see as a really big trend. Just mm-hmm. so people know, if you purchased a Peloton or North Peloton, mm-hmm. chances are you purchased that on credit. Peloton is not a lender. They mm-hmm. use a firm to do that loan. So that's a good example of a player that does embedded finance. That's, uh, that's, yeah. that's not exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, like, wow. Using, using a, a fintech like a firm means that these uh, retailers, they send their customers to that lender to complete their purchase. And then basically customer becomes a customer of a firm where they make payments, repaying their loan and or installment uh, plan, right? So uh, what we see now, retailers understand that uh, when they send their customers to third-party lenders, they give up their loyalty, they give away their customers' data, and instead of sending their customers to someone else, they choose to provide these point-of-sale loans themselves. So this way, they're blocking their customers they can use this transactional data that they collect during the repayment process to run additional campaigns, to offer them promotions. Because if you go to a firm's website, you can see like tens or hundreds of retailers with their offering, right? So if you're a small retailer, you don't want to send your customer to someone else. So that's what we see as a new trend. So instead of delegating this lending piece to someone else, companies start bringing it in-house. That's why Walmart announced that they're building their own fintech division. Yep. And that's very much true for manufacturers, like uh, manufacturing medical equipment, all kinds of machinery. In most cases, they sell on credit. And in this industry, there are not that many companies similar to a firm who would be willing to provide this installment plans or any sort of financing to business customers. That's why many manufacturers do it themselves. Wow. Okay. And I'm really happy you made that distinction. And I always love being corrected on my podcast because it means that we're this conversation is flowing. We're being critical thinkers and also just keeping our audience audience on the dynamism of the conversation. So to that point, Interesting. So we're saying that non-lenders become lenders. That said, they don't have the expertise to jump into the business. And so then how do they get in? Do they just hire a lot of people and data scientists and try to figure it out? Like, how, how do they get started? Because to your point, if using the Affirm case study, that's a little different because you're saying, okay, you're bringing in the expertise mm-hmm. with a third party, but to your point, they're going to manage the credit piece of that sale, right? And in in many ways, to your point, sometimes a relationship. But what you're saying is, no, we're not going to do that. In fact, the retailer in this case would still hold on to the risk on their balance sheet, correct? How did they get started? Okay, so it depends on the complexity of the operations, of course. I mean, if you're Mm. like a large manufacturer and you do equipment financing, then you will have to hire some professionals who can, you know, underwriting standards and uh, then monitor the portfolio if it's big enough. But with application of AI allowed us to build really simplified additions of our um, solution designed for a specific use case. It's like, mm. you know, to a certain extent, 
lending for dummies. You don't need to know anything about credit scoring or credit risk and all those concepts. So we work a lot with plastic surgery clinics, with mm. uh, all kinds of healthcare facilities providing selective surgeries or some other expensive treatments not covered by insurance. So they don't know anything about lending, but we made it extremely easy for them. So we can connect to all necessary data sources, whether it's credit bureau or some bank statement data provider. And we analyze that information using AI in real time. So basically, uh, they have a very simple screen showing the credit limit that they can offer to a certain patient, several options for repayment schedules. All they need to do to click the button, decide which option they want to go. And you know that in lending, if you build the right models, it's all about statistics. It's all about intelligence. So you can design the solution to be conservative and risk-free, pretty much risk-free, or you can go more aggressive and you can, especially wow. if you work with like more uh, risky and subprime segments of borrowers. But in many cases, we can limit the credit risk exposure using AI and make it really easy and stress-free for these businesses. So I just want to give people the picture of the evolution here. We started with the basics, <laughs> automate. Then we evolved to AI for the use case of a lender, which is remove costs from the process by enabling more efficient decision making, right? Both at the application slash onboarding process slash underwriting process, and then thereafter the servicing process. And now you're actually telling me a new chapter of where you're seeing the growth, which is making a non-lender a lender with a pun intended turnkey solution. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. I love it. I love it. All right. This is great. Also, as a lender, it gets me nervous because competition is coming from every angle. And this last trend, which is a very interesting one, is this where you're seeing most of the growth? How are you seeing the growth distributed across your platform? Okay, so that's still fairly new, right? Only the okay. most uh, advanced and innovative uh, companies are moving in this direction because Still, there are a lot of fears uh, around, you know, properly uh, managing credit risk and all of that. So right now, the most growth is happening still in the fintech area because opportunity is there. You know, the demand is there. There are so many different innovative ways of helping people to purchase things that they need to help businesses to grow with access to the right capital. So we still see that most of the growth is happening within the fintech or uh, some companies that uh, started as uh, like payment processing companies or as fintech companies, which were like, you know, uh, focusing on some, not on lending, but on, as I said, payment processing or um, similar activities. Now they see lending as a natural next step so they can extend offering to their, to their existing customers offering uh, whatever cash advances or work capital loans. So that's what's going on now. That's where we see a lot of growth. That makes perfect sense. So now in the spirit of fundamental fairness, and we at this on this podcast talk about financial inclusion from the lens of entrepreneurs, investors, and mm -hmm. policymakers. And I want to first call out the general ethos of what 
turnkey projects to the world, which is that you care about inclusion. You have featured many different women, including women here at Camino Financial on your women in fintech list. And I commend you for that, for creating an inclusive working environment and recognizing women within your industry. So it's clearly part of the DNA, Elena, that Turnkey has. And I also want to talk about in the context of AI and how it powers financial inclusion. I think in many ways, credit scores driven by machine learning algorithms are expected to improve financial institutions' abilities to score credit for poor consumers or people at the Mm -hmm. base of the pyramid, which in effect is financial inclusion. So I want to better understand the role of AI here. So can you tell us how AI in particular is driving that trend towards financial inclusion and opening up the tent to other bars that we otherwise probably wouldn't be lending into and how? Absolutely. So traditional credit scoring approaches take into account borrowers' credit history, existing credit history in many cases, credit bureau score or credit bureau report. But when you come to categories of borrowers, when they either don't have any formal credit history, and that's true not only for, as you probably know, we started in Singapore. And that was our initial focus. And that's, uh, as you mentioned, it's in our DNA. So our mission is to make the world a better place by helping people to get access to capital, to making lending easier for lenders, for borrowers. In many cases, using traditional underwriting approaches, banks are willing to give you money when when you are safe enough. But when you actually need the money, they don't have the right tools in place to assess your credit worthiness because uh, you don't have great bureau score or you don't have the right credit history. So with use of AI, we can look at so many different sources of information, starting with transactional data, let's say for utility bills or mobile data, like telecom providers data, or we went to the extent that we built so-called psychometric scoring when even uh, for people who don't have any information and any actual data to process about them, they can go through a very simple questionnaire. When we test their propensity to risk, where uh, test the wow. integrity when we can make some interesting. So that's how far AI can go. And all these questions, they design the way so you cannot guess the right answer, right? Because everyone wants to look better than they are, especially when they're applying for a loan. But this uh, psychometric testing, it's designed so that you cannot guess the right answers, but instead you kind of show your real self. And based on that information, we can define the level of the credit risk, and we can decide whether we want to offer a loan to this person. Usually, in this case, lenders start with like a very small micro loan, but gradually they help people to build credit history with them and get more and better options for getting loans. Yep, that makes sense. AI has a lot of potential of building services for underbanked people and for people with a bad or no credit history. Yeah. And one thing that I wanted to touch on as we close this conversation out is that what is very cool about what's happening in the fintech industry is that, and I say this as an entrepreneur, that the tech stack for the fintech industry is becoming, bear with me, I'll I'll finish my thought. 
commoditized, right? And that's not to say that the solution that Turnkey is offering is a commodity at all. No, it's more that the fintech itself or the lender itself doesn't necessarily need to build that themselves. They can resort to a software provider. And once again, I would say Turnkey is very differentiated. And there are other commodity-like software solutions. I think Turnkey is very different, especially in its use of AI. So you're differentiated in that context. But I'm talking thematically, fintech back in the day, they needed to own every part of their tech stack. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like what investors were looking for, right? Like, show me your tech stack. I'm investing millions of dollars. I want you to invest in it. But now I'm starting to realize that tech software is what they were looking for, but that would translate, at least the hypothesis wasn't in many cases, is right, into real enterprise-level value. But what we're finding now is that building all the technology yourself is not a competitive advantage anymore. It actually can be a disadvantage. I think you need to be very careful about where you choose certain parts of building and then licensing or outsourcing your stack. And look, that was a big decision that Camino Financial had to make. I mean, up, up to this day, we have been managing the full stack as it relates to the loan origination system ourselves. And we realized that it was not efficient. So I think that's one for fintechs to know, like doing it all yourself is probably not signaling that you're the smartest person in the room. I'm just telling you that right now. At the same time, for incumbents that haven't done this before, now you know that, by the way, thanks to companies like your, like Turnkey Lender, that you can become a fintech yourself, so to speak. Like back in the day, we all, including Camino Financial, right? Because, you know, 10 years is not a long time. You know, I measure fintech in dog years, right? We had to build it all ourselves, but now we're seeing these third-party solutions and we should use these third-party solutions and then optimize where we see we're most differentiated, right? And for us, there's a variety of areas where we can build an edge, but not in all areas. Is that is that a fair characterization of how I think fintechs and even incumbents should be looking at what I call the commoditization of the tech stack, Absolutely. But, but more in the context of, you know, you shouldn't do it yourself. <laughs> right. You know what? I can totally relate to everything you just said, because when we were trying to fundraise the very first time for Turnkey Lender, and we were pitching this over-the-shelf, end-to-end platform for managing any aspect of lending, a typical response we were getting back in 2015 was like, there won't be any like alternative lenders, there will be just one lending club, you know, back in 2015, lending <laughs> club was one of the years, you know. And the companies like lending clubs and other fintechs, they will build their own technology, they won't need anything off the shelf. So that was, I mean, I've, I've heard that Endless number of times. I mean, it, it was just a very common mentality and perception that uh, in order to have the competitive edge, you need to build something in-house, something unique of your own. And what happens now, we see a lot of companies that went that path and they build something in-house, but they reach the point when they cannot maintain their homegrown systems anymore. Because exactly. in order to expand, in order to go into new markets, in order to make changes, quick changes in your underwriting policies, anything. I mean, like COVID happened, you had to like really quickly, in many cases, you had to adjust like your underwriting standards, you had to, you know, make changes in uh, your uh, servicing and collection. So 
with off-the-shelf solutions, which in many cases are like based on uh, revenue sharing kind of model when, when you pay only for what you use. It totally makes sense. I mean, it's cost efficient. It's done yeah. professionally by someone who's focusing just on software. It allows you uh, additional flexibility. At the end of the day, you still can control all your processes and design whatever creative uh, approaches you want to use. But without that burden of, you know, keeping the uh, large IT team without like, you know, going through those development cycles every time, like, you know, developing, debugging. Developing yeah. again. I mean, like. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, we, we get it. And unfortunately, we learned the hard way, but we're happy to be working with you on this um, new next step. Last quick question. It's a broad question, but answer any way you like. What does fundamental fairness mean to you? Fundamental fairness. And we're not talking about the fintech, right? In okay. any area you'd like. <laughs> so, I'm not sure that objectively such thing as fundamental fairness exists, but it's in our power to bring as much fairness as possible to at least, I mean, to the industries and to the fields where we work at, like financial services. So for me, fairness in this area is access to financial services, access to capital when you need it, on the terms that are fair and not prohibitive. And for everyone, really for everyone who might benefit from the financial services. So I would probably limit my definition of fairness only by this field, because overall, that's very big. It's like a topic for a separate conversation. Yeah, no, conversation. you're not the first person yeah. to tell me that. Um, yeah. And I love it. That was a great response. And before we sign off, is there any way people can follow you, learn more about Turnkey, any information you'd like to share on that front? Sure, absolutely. We are easily accessible through our website, turnkey-lender.com. We are on all social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. So we invite everyone to join our regular LinkedIn live sessions and other podcasts that we also do covering the most forward-thinking influencers in the fintech industry and financial industry. Please check us online and we'd be happy to to explore what lending platform can do for them or to go through this digital transformation journey uh, together. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate having you here. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. We'd like to thank Bethany Sands for sound and editing, our creative team, Tanya Chaidez and Osmar Manzano, assistant producer, Melanie Diaz, and our senior producer, Elianette Romero.